Hey there, welcome to our AP Legal Zone podcast brought to you by AP Lawyers. We are your top fix for all weekly law updates, including family, immigration, wills, and estates law. Just a friendly reminder we are not your lawyers, and everything contained in this podcast is for entertainment purposes only and not to be construed as legal advice. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you can stay connected with any updates and get notified about our new episodes. Hello, I'm Angela Prince-Will. And I'm Sharon Abbey. And our topic for you today is separation agreement. And if the name separation agreement did not give it away, it's, you know, an agreement that two people will live together and are now separated, enter into where they articulate their you know, respective rights and obligations as a result of, um, you know, the separation. So obviously when people live together, there's different legal obligations and rights that are arise out of that. And your separation agreement is essentially where you deal with whatever the issues are and, and sometimes also deal with a lot of um, what you would like to happen going forward. Yeah, it's, it's basically that, like a written contract that's binding once it's signed that will articulate your settlement terms. Yeah, so let's go through some some of the elements of, of a separation agreement. So firstly, it has to be two people. Yes, <laughs> I mean, not you and your mom and your brother. And you can't contract other people's obligations into this agreement. It is between you both. Mm-hmm. A common misconception um, people have with a separation agreement can we just make them sign it you can't make someone sign a separation agreement and often people come to our firm and i'm usually and they want us to just do a separation agreement and give it to the other person um anyone who knows me know i'm very i'm very particular about efficiencies it's just the way i am and it just doesn't make sense if you are not in agreement because the name separation agreement if you guys are not in agreement on the terms why are we drafting it no matter what even though it's coming from a lawyer it doesn't mean we can make them sign it exactly the goal might be to get a separation agreement in place but it's not where we just start unless you guys have agreed upon terms it doesn't really make sense to just begin drafting an entirely different agreement that somebody may not even agree that Mm -hmm. makes it more complex so obviously the goal is to get you negotiated through settlement terms that make sense and And, and some people would so there's different people i mean having said that there's people that already have had a conversation and they have settlement terms and they come to me again being efficient i just go ahead draft it they get in um the other side gets independent legal advice signed that's absolutely a very very valid process there's also people that come to us that want us to sign their agreement because they believe that it's a very good deal and that the other party seeing it will definitely sign it i'm okay with that too it's just i think where there's there's those number of people that think that if they get a lawyer to draft a separation agreement that the other side has to sign it yeah and they don't they really don't and also like we'll go through like common grounds to set aside an agreement so we'll talk about why that can be problematic as well exactly and you had alluded to this a little bit earlier sure you talked about like third parties um so when we were having a conversation and i don't know if that was part of um, this podcast but we had talked earlier about you know sort of our you know times when we see when people want terms that bind third parties Mm -hmm. you know it's 
I mean, I guess it's okay to put it in there, but you just need to understand that its enforcement is very sketchy because this agreement is between the two parties that cohabited and are now separating. Yes, unless you're dealing with children. Obviously, that might be, and depending no, on No, I mean, it that... has to be children that you guys parent. So you yes. cannot have any other child. Exactly. You cannot... You cannot put something in your agreement and expect it to bind a parent, an uncle. And I always yeah. tell people, and sometimes these are all parties that are relevant to the relationship and obviously maybe have control of certain aspects. And what I tell my clients is you need to draft it or we need, and again, this is why we always obviously prefer lawyers drafting it because we would draft it in a way that it ensures that the rest obligation rests on the parties. Yeah. Not just vague terms about what somebody else that's not a party to the contract did, even if they were part of the negotiation and agreed. It has to be the two people that um, cohabited that are entering into this agreement and whatever is binding is only binding really on them. So there's ways to include third parties, but it has to be done properly. Of course. Like if there's like third parties, like as in like maybe directing the real estate agent or sorry, the real estate lawyer for the sale proceeds of your home, mm -hmm. that is okay. Like that's mm -hmm. something that's enforceable um, pursuant to an agreement, of course. <laughs> but yeah, you want to be careful. Yeah. So the other thing is you must be, well, the act talks about living separate and apart. And I try to stay away from that term because sometimes people think it means like they have to physically this be is a very common. separated. <laughs> so you are separated the day one of you has decided and somewhat communicated it to the other person that you're no longer together. And even though you may have false hopes, and that's a whole separate podcast that I'm sure we've done already, what's living separate and apart. And if we haven't, then this is a promise that we do have to do that because it's a whole huge and and complex area of law when we're talking about living separate yeah. and apart. So you must be separated. Yes, but that doesn't mean you need to be physically separated in the terms of like being in a different residence. And I think that's common misconception is that doesn't mean that you're not separated. It just means um, it just it's you're, means separate, that you're separated, but, but living in the same under exactly. the same roof. So it's okay to live under the same roof so long as you guys are no longer perceived to be together and you've and made that very partners, clear. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so what can you include in your separation agreement? So oh, a variety of things. Um, and that's the interesting part about separation agreements. They really can cover almost, actually should cover everything relating at, or arising out of your separation. So that includes parenting, property, support arrangements, child support and spousal support, life insurance, home proceeds the sale of the home like so many different aspects who, who has know? possession of the home in the yep. meantime who pays for what in the meantime yep. estate rights benefits the beauty of separation agreement is you can be a lot more detailed in a way that you cannot be in a court order exactly so yeah there's certain things we can't just write in in a court order i mean most separation agreements are at least 11 12 pages and yeah, oh, that's, no, no one's that's very short. Like that's a very short, exactly. Like for the simplest of things, there yeah. is no. But even for the most complex cases, you would not find a twelve-page court order. It's very unlikely. I mean, I'm not, I'm talking about the order itself, not the judge's reasons for decision that comes after a trial. But in terms of the order itself, it's never as detailed. So a lot of people prefer separation agreements because we can articulate a lot more especially if you have children because there's parameters that you can follow with them you know like a schedule you know pickups drop-offs you can be very detailed and things that probably are not the most appropriate to put in court orders 
you can put them in a separation agreement and there can be nice guiding parameters between the, the parents and the parties themselves. Um, the one thing that we didn't mention were partial and final agreements. Like the different, yes, so the difference is, so for example, if you have, you can have a separation agreement, let's say maybe you guys aren't settled on all of the issues. You can have a separation agreement that deals with maybe one or two issues on a final basis, or maybe an interim um, parenting schedule, or sorry, a separation agreement maybe dealing with temporary issues until you enter into a final agreement. Yes, I'm a fan of, of partial agreements because when I find that sometimes we agree on certain things and if we don't lock those in, then one issue could just undo, you know, hours of negotiation. So yeah. if it's if it's not interrelated issues, um, then I really, you know, if they're very separate issues, then I would I like to enter into partial agreements so that all our eyes are on the ball and we're focused on the things that that remain outstanding. Interim agreements, uh, I mean, say no more because I'm not. I'm not a fan if my client is the support recipient you're not going to keep us for a year negotiating um you we, let's sign an interim agreement you get whatever if it's the tax deductibility if it's things like that that's the concern let's do an interim agreement so sometimes people i, I get people that come to me and they've been separated for a while and they've been negotiating to no ends with their partner on their own and you know they agree on some things and there's one thing outstanding and it's like they're almost held hostage over that one thing and there's really no justification for it yeah and then in the effort of just keeping the momentum going if there are things that you guys you know settle on obviously having a partial agreement in place makes sense like for example the matrimonial home let's say you know you want to figure out what the division of like it's jointly owned and you want to figure out what the division of the proceeds are but that's something that needs to take place before maybe all of the other issues. Like you can enter into agreement on just dealing with the sale and the closing of the home. Exactly. Exactly. So uh, let's talk about the effect of reconciliation because okay. I have I have had clients and I've also been the one on the other side where the clients don't want to sign the separation agreement because they're they're hoping for a reconciliation right in yeah. some cases so i have had to say this to to the other i mean i recently had to say this to my client's um, husband and his lawyer in the context of a meeting and i said there's no point to dragging this on you you're allowed to reconcile there's nothing signing the separation agreement there's not it, it's not your divorce i think i should just make that clear here yes it doesn't mean like having that agreement will be displaced in the event of a reconciliation yeah well for the most well, no you said it the other way right? it doesn't prevent way, yeah. it doesn't mean that it doesn't mean you're divorced so once you reconcile if you do reconcile the common law rule is if you reconciled and it's 90 days or less the separation agreement remains valid if you've been separated for over 90 days then the separation agreement becomes void and but whatever payments have been made so you're not going not to be invalid. called on to repay the support payments that you've made and things like that so that you guys keep whatever financial exchanges have happened but then the separation agreement is null and void so i say this because for some people they're still nursing that hope and things like that and they need to and it's it's almost like once we sign this it's completely over and i mean that's what we hope um if that's if you guys are at this point i mean but you know love is a beautiful thing and if, if there's if you guys do reconcile just you know realize that the the agreement could be null and void and if it's less than 90 days then just 
don't worry too much all the terms of the um, agreement would continue in force um, again the topic of reconciliation is a whole huge topic there's a lot that have that can arise from that area we've had issues with you know reconciliation and division of properties like pensions and you know Shirin talked about the matrimonial home being sold well what happens if uh, you've paid out someone half and and now they're back in the home so it's a very it could be <laughs> yeah. it could be a very complex area so mm -hmm. much as you know being a romantic to some extent i'm saying well you can reconcile even though mm -hmm. you signed your agreement police seek independent legal advice because there's a lot of consequences that can flow out of reconciling after you've signed that separation exactly. agreement. some that you probably didn't intend so that's that's probably something you want to look into for sure yeah so sure you want to take on dispute resolution option so when there's a dispute about this perfectly crafted separation agreement yeah so what the beautiful thing about a separation agreement it says you know if there is a reviewable or variable term in your agreement um or if it may be a parenting related dispute there is usually a dispute resolution section that will outline how you deal with that dispute resolution so like if you or sorry how you deal with that dispute so for example if maybe an issue comes up with parenting you know related to maybe uh, the children's school and neither of you agree there will be parameters in your agreement that will help you navigate what you do in that event so it may be to go to a parenting coordinator it may be to engage a mediation or arbitration process and it may be just to commence an application there's so many different like dispute resolution processes mm -hmm. but the the nice thing is that there's some clarity so that in the event you're not basically just left in the dark you know. Exactly. And, and some people want to know ahead of time that, okay, whatever happens, we're going to deal with it in this way versus the other, right? Yeah. So if you might decide with the, with dispute resolution that if it's for parenting terms, this is how we want to proceed. If it's for support, we want to proceed um, in a different way. And I think for me at the heart of, of separation agreements is just that concept of I don't want to use self-determination and make it sound a lot more serious than it is, but yeah. that's that's really the only word that comes to mind. Doing things on my own terms and just kind of not just leaving everything just arbitrarily exactly how the law says. Like just, you know, we want to go for arbitration for this and we want to do yeah, this. So you can it allows make it you... obligatory or you can make it an option. So like may mediate um, or shall mediate. So yes. in the event that, you know, maybe you guys are more amicable people <laughs> and are able to work together, it makes sense maybe to use or the even, mediation process. Or even with, um, and, and sometimes you can also name the mediator. So the yes, beauty of that is... you can even is... name three in the event that one of them is not it's not available act. yeah so you there's so much there's so much creativity and flexibility exactly. in drafting agreements which is why angela and i both love them <laughs> um and parties like them too because they they allow them to articulate their settlement terms and their concerns as well yes i know because in some i mean a concern people sometimes have is when you go back to court you have a different judge then they don't remember when you name your mediator and you're lucky enough to come back before the same mediator then they have an idea of what happened the last time they can it's easier for them to pick up they understand the family dynamics and things like that so yeah anyway. you guys may be comfortable with them so yes 
it's not uncommon to have um, a pre-set out um, mediator or arbitrator. Yeah, exactly. And if you don't have one decided at this point, that's okay. It would be one that would make sure that the, there's a process involved, you know, put in for picking a mediator. Or you, we could just say you guys would decide on one in the future and that's it. But point is you can even, I've also, what I also like is sometimes I have clients that are religious and they want their disputes dealt with by their man. That that's something that I cannot put into a court order. Yeah, I can put in an yeah, and and in some cases there's you know there's reasons for it. These are this is probably the person that was involved when you got married has helped you guys negotiate this dispute, and you want to go back to yeah, them. Yeah, it can even be that you guys will engage even like if there's parenting that you'll engage in um, maybe like parenting counseling or something. Like there's so many different avenues to approach, and it's 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 really interesting. So yeah, so what about um, some very important elements as well? So everything we've said is important, but I, I just I want to I want this to sound as important as it is. Independent legal advice. I cannot stress this enough. Yeah, we really can't. Um, independent legal advice is either party. Should, well, if you if you're getting a lawyer to draft the agreement, I imagine they'll also be the one providing you with independent legal advice. Yes, but it's very important for both parties to have independent legal advice, and yeah. that just essentially means that each party has had their own respective lawyer or a lawyer consult with them as to the terms of their rights and obligations arising out of the separation by mm -hmm. reviewing the agreement itself and mm -hmm. obviously being aware of the applicable legislation and how that impacts them and just basically advising their client um, and mm -hmm. the reason it's so important is because it's probably the most common ground to set aside a separation agreement yeah number the number of times people would say they did not understand that by saying he told me this was this or she told me so on both ends you're protected if you're the person um, you know if you're the more vulnerable party at least you know you're going in informed so when you go get independent legal advice, whatever the pitfalls are with their agreement, if you want to sign it, you sign it knowing that for whatever reasons you've decided to accept it at that time. And if it's not a good deal for you, then obviously, you know, you shouldn't sign it, but you want to be informed. It's again, we're not for, for our firm, particularly, and I know lawyers are different. Some lawyers are, very, are sticklers too. It has to be according to the terms of the law. I'm not, you know, yeah. we're not that particular. We understand that there are things beyond just the exact letter of the law. There's a range of outcomes that are satisfactory to parties, and we respect that. 100%. But what we don't appreciate is when our clients are not informed. We want our yeah. clients to know, you can get a million dollars. And if my client says, I don't want that million dollars, because for religious reasons, that's just not the way we divide property. It's, it's her money, and she made it. She ha gets to keep it. I would respect that. But without independent legal advice, then if, if you know, if that client comes to me in the future, I'm going to be saying we're setting aside this agreement because, yeah. you know. Especially when um, maybe like my client's getting a great deal. Like, well, not just maybe, but anytime I, <laughs> I strongly suggest that the other yes. party gets independent legal advice. And even more so when it's a great deal for, yes. for my client because 
you want to make sure that that agreement is upheld. You don't mm -hmm. want any unintended consequences. And there's nothing to say that there's 100% never a chance in hell that that agreement is going to be <laughs> set aside because no one can predict that. There's always going to be a lawyer that says, yes, let's set this aside and use mm -hmm. every ground in the book to make that happen. <laughs> and you definitely don't want to be ca caught up in such unnecessary legal fees and legal disputes that can take so long to resolve. Mm -hmm. Rather than just, honestly, it's such a cheap, thing to do to save such and i would say if costs. there's if there's a dispute deal with it now so what what happens is when when you have a client that's getting what they perceive to be the better deal there's that fear that if the other side goes to get independent legal advice that they would wise up to the idea and the deal may fall apart and i say while that might be the case you want to deal with it now than later it gets yeah. more expensive later because you know documents getting a document for for 2016 from 2021 is is difficult enough as it is imagine if you're separated in 2021 and then an issue comes up in 2040 or something right yeah, and like the depending on the claim the, there's no statute of limitation for certain claims so yeah it, it, it really can be something years down the line that you never anticipated someone coming after you for maybe spousal support exactly you know someone maybe losing their job and mm -hmm. them never getting you know independent legal advice on a spousal support release is pro pretty crucial but there's a number of times where i'm surprised when i'm consulted on agreements that people truly don't understand what they're signing and That's or true. don't know what the what they're entitled to and it it gives me such pleasure to let them know yeah like where they could have gotten the greatest deal or you know mm -hmm. like and it, as long as it's my it's my job obviously to let them know what that looks like but yes. it's amazing to me when they're so surprised mm -hmm. you know it's that oh he said i can't have this and i'm not yeah. going to get spouse support i'm not going to get child support i'm not going to get the house so i'm just walking away with maybe a $500 monthly payable check. Yeah, that's and so it, true. That to me is so rewarding. And I hate <laughs> to be the person that, that challenges your agreement, but <laughs> but when it serves my client, it will. So it, it will have to happen, I imagine, <laughs> unless they agree. Of course, at the end of the day, it's no, we understand I, people have unique circumstances. Like I could even live with different things than most people, but at the end of the day, as long as they're informed. Well said, Chirin. I could not add a word to that. <laughs> Another big reason why um, agreements get set aside is financial disclosure this or the lack big, of financial yes, disclosure. Yes, this is a big, big one. But this is kind of, it goes hand in hand with legal advice because the lawyer's obligation is to advise you that there is a financial disclosure element and yeah. that they've drawn your attention to the fact that, you know, financial disclosure is common ground to set aside. It's mm -hmm. important um, in a separation context. But if you have assets that you want to protect and maybe you're the one getting a better deal or whatever the case may be, you know, that you want to keep your pensions, you want to disclose your assets yeah. as part of your agreement or you want to give each party the opportunity to investigate. Um, obviously, there's an option to do full financial disclosure. People get, I mean, people get concerned sometimes and they're afraid that if there's disclosure done, then they again, get like money hungry and then they'll kind of maybe adjust their position and yes. maybe break down on this. And that may be, and that may be the case. But if that's, if that's it, wouldn't you rather deal with it now? Because as I said, people, you're just, you're not getting away with it. You're just moving the fight for another day where it would most likely be more inconvenient, where you would be perceived very badly by, by a judge. And it's just not, 
it's just not an all round good idea. Show that disclosure, let the person know that you have this huge pension and let them decide if it was actually their intention not to do that. Because again, it kind of looks sketchy or if you both don't want to go through the trouble of doing it, even despite our advice, then at least we can put in the agreement that you guys have decided not to do exactly. it. Exactly. We could add in disclosure waivers um, and, and, and that would take care of it, <laughs> hopefully. But honestly, mm-hmm. like disclosure is obviously very important because the other side needs to know what maybe they're potentially letting go of yes um and what they're not sharing in and sometimes you just you want you want to have a good night's sleep too you know exactly at the end of the day to save you that trouble maybe down the line Mm -hmm. like for me it's worth it like yeah i strongly No, because yeah you're right it's one thing to to be letting go of property that you didn't think was worth worth a lot and i mean let's be fair like chances are when you find out when the person finds out how, what they're letting go they might change their mind and but that and that's what the law is trying to protect right they want to avoid a situation where it looks like someone's being taken advantage of but it is what it is so financial disclosure is very important if you're not going to be doing a financial disclosure it's important to include um, financial disclosure waivers. Yes, to make sure you're and you want to make sure that if you are doing financial disclosure, you're not materially misrepresenting maybe a large oh, asset that's a you good have. One. So if you leave out maybe your half a million dollar pension yes. out of your financial disclosure, yes. that to me is a very clean, like I'm going to open up that agreement. And yes. like that to me does not look good. And it's not yeah. going to look good to the court that you've materially misrepresented your your finances because of course people might have contracted into that agreement under the false pretenses and that's yes. obviously a common ground to set aside the agreement absolutely absolutely okay so um maybe we'll talk about like undue heart like undue um influence so, so yes. this is kind of touching on our first discussion which is mm-hmm. you don't want to force the other side to sign an agreement um, because it can obviously set aside an agreement because another common ground to set aside an agreement is undo um if there's duress they're, sorry, they're yeah. being unduly influenced by exactly. you misrepresentation yes obviously in the form of financial disclosure as well but in in any other form so um you definitely want to know <laughs> so <laughs> don't want to force someone don't so force like, someone to do it and and there's time so another an example well during um well this would apply mostly to marriage contracts where it's like okay you you're making them sign this almost at the very last minute before the wedding now there's a fine line between where you know the lawyers have been involved and it's just happens that the timing of the signing happens around there but where someone's just like shoved a you know a marriage contract right on the day of their wedding and like they're walking down the aisle like and they feel pressure to sign because it's either that or the whole world says that the wedding isn't going through like I know I'm being extreme with my example and God I hope nobody (laughs) does that but you know what I mean I'm trying to make a point (laughs) yeah like maybe like more of a red flag for like our separation agreement would be if you signed a separation agreement very very close to your date of separation and I'm saying within that same week and I get like people get you know like they get terms in place, but it's going to look like, okay, was there maybe an element of, um, you know, undue influence and duress on the other side? Because that's such a short amount of time to maybe to resolve a lot of different residual oh, issues. Oh, even in cases where there's um, there's a power imbalance, for example, yes, that's like a huge domestic concept. violence concerns. Yes. Um, that's obviously a common because if you're leaving, if you're leaving, if if um, a person is completely dependent on on the partner for for support or whatever and now all of a sudden you know they're separating and 
and you have no way of providing for for yourself financially and and then the only way forward is to make sure that you sign, you sign agreement. this agreement of course they're going to sign right that's that's, that's leaving you sure. yeah like hostage to sign an agreement yeah. so you definitely want to look out for that consideration and i mean having said that sometimes that's not the intention of the person who is who, who i'll say the more powerful part in a person in the party maybe they just want to move on with their lives and they're like well I'm a, an A-type personality, and I—I I mean, I can almost see yeah. myself being that kind of person, saying, "Well, you know what? We've been separated a week. Let's sign this. Let's move." But it's not the best. Give them time. Let them go get independent legal advice. If financial disclosure needs to be done, let it be done, and then let them take a breath. And if they want to sign, they sign. Yes, and be mindful of your communications too. So if you're, you know, sending a text message, like if you don't sign this right away, like mm -hmm. be very mindful. All of this may come back. So, yes. you know, you definitely don't want to make it look like you're forcefully telling someone or, you know, basically making them mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. sign this agreement because that that might not work out for you in the end. They may take they may take the deal you're giving them now because they're in a bind. But when they're in a better position, they could come back and, you know, goodbye just... to your nice, nice exactly, <laughs> exactly. So um, now when you're dealing with, so I think this is a nice way to segue actually into special parties, right? So we just talked about duress and, you know, situations where there's a power imbalance, domestic um, abuse and things like that. Um, but what happens where you're dealing with a party that's um, mentally incapable? So if they, if they already had a power of attorney in place and not and their attorney isn't the partner they're separating from yes, that's <laughs> probably very important i mean yeah so if they have a separate power of attorney that person would be the person representing them so if you're if you have a separate if you have um you know let's say in a situation where one of the parties that in this case i'll just say the husband is um mentally incapable and wife wants a separation agreement especially where it deals with property somebody else that's under power of attorney needs to assist them in doing that please do not sign an agreement that even if you think it's in their best interest and you know the law and you know everything that's good for them don't sign that agreement don't make an mentally incapable person sign an agreement yeah. without them having a power of attorney or without involving the office of the public guardian and trustee yeah and the appropriate power of attorney because yeah. there is exactly because if, it, if of it's attorney, power of attorney for personal care then that's not going to work that won't help you for property um so you definitely want to look out for that no people because sure. if not then it gets set aside right so you have this perfect agreement and then now this person is mentally found to be mentally incapable when involving the even with the involvement of the public guardian and trustee the court needs to approve the separation agreement and if you've ever done a separation agreement or negotiated anything with a mentally incapable person you have to remember that patience is key and for those that want things done very quickly and wrapped up nicely and done within like some very fixed timelines um you just need to be very careful and these days with more and more mental health issues um you know presenting themselves in people you want to be very mindful and if there's if you have that suspicion that this person is mentally incapable then let's get the the um court, yeah let's get, yeah get them assessed make sure that that finding is made and then you know and then involve work on the, the appropriate elements of getting someone in in there to help that person. to help them but for just but you have to understand that the court approval will be required where for normal people um and i really take that back i i just 
I don't like the fact that I'm using the word normal people, but for people who are not mentally incapable, they can have their um, agreement done and signed. But for those that need that extra support, you know, the, that judicial oversight is required. And more often than not, you don't attend court. It doesn't involve that. It just means the paperwork gets submitted to, to a judge. The judge would review it usually very quickly and and then um, once it's approved, we can now move forward with, with finalizing things. Um, so some few obvious things. One, your agreement must be in writing. Yes. <laughs> so um, it seems funny, but there's a lot it of times people are relying on writing. oral. Yeah. Oh, yes. Like, or, you know, poorly drafted agreements that may contradict. So like this comes back no, to like... I mean, that's a separate yeah. podcast, Sheree. If we go into the... <laughs> into the Kitchen table agreements. Yes, we're we not, will, we're we not fans. We're not fans of those. Again, because we've been on... We've, we've we've dealt with the residual issues of yes. not having a properly drafted agreement in place. Yes. So when you've when you've dealt with that and you've seen you see the thousands of dollars that get you know used up trying to deal with very simple issues and I've been in cases where it's just a genuine misunderstanding because these are not even people that are no longer amicable. They are actually amicable, but one person understood one thing and another didn't. So it's important. To the best of your ability, we strongly um, recommend that you have a lawyer assist you in drafting it. Or if you're, I mean, we do have separation agreement templates ourselves online that are, you know, drafted with 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 this in mind, with, with the, the thought that we want to make sure that you're using something that's binding. So be careful what agreement you use is what we're going to say. But first, that agreement must be in writing. It has to be signed. So the fact that you both sat together and drafted something um, if it's unsigned, then you don't have a valid separation agreement and it has to be witnessed. And the witness shouldn't be your your ex, okay? Like you both... And it has to be not a minor. <laughs> and not not your child, not your minor child, right? It can be your brother, your sister. Like it's fine, a friend. Yeah, I think the co-worker, other day, anybody else. I think else. the other day you said someone at a bar. Like <laughs> anyone you can find, like it's all good. Hey, the witness, you signing it. So, but yeah, so just make sure you have your agreement in writing, everything that I actually had an issue, um, you know, I just actually spoke to someone very recently about this where they had an agreement, portions of it was in writing and the other portion was verbal and now, you know, their ex is going back on what he promised with the oral part. And well, actually he's going, he's going back on everything that was said. I'm able to enforce the written part. It's not a great agreement, um, but it's something to work with. But what the oral part, I, it's going to be hard to deal with uh, and you know that's going to be extremely difficult because it wasn't written so everything that you agree if it's not in the agreement it doesn't count so try to make sure that everything goes in make sure you sign it sign it in front of your witnesses and finally what do you do after you've signed your agreement you honestly you go about your separate ways <laughs> unless your agreement has to be filed with fro for child support reasons but most agreements you know parties have you just go your separate ways if your agreement i just always say i mean my practice is i would look through the agreement and i would give my client a list so i would let you know that there's child support of a hundred dollars payable every month there's 
you know, spousal support is going from this day to that day. So like a nice little list, because obviously in the agreement, we put in a lot of details because we want to make sure that we are completely <laughs> very, very clear. <laughs> exactly. Right. So, but if there's things to do, you know, if the house is to be sold and you need to do declutter the home, all of that stuff, just look through your agreement, make sure that whatever needs to be done is done. If pensions need to be transferred, has that been done? Once all of that's done, you don't need to go to court. People think that they have to go to court. Exactly. And it's so funny to me because, like, the way, the best way to resolve your issue, of course, would be to have a separation agreement mm-hmm. in place. It means that it may be a long road to get there, it may be a short process to get there. The, regardless, you have a separation agreement. I imagine it was without going to court to get it, but no, you don't have to file it with court. It can be something that's entirely negotiated by lawyers mm-hmm. and maybe not even a lawyer. Um, getting involved to negotiate, maybe just getting independent legal advice. Mm-hmm. And that, it, it's so funny to me when people are like, okay, like, what do I do? How do I file it with the court? I'm like, you don't need to go to court. <laughs> you agree. Like, we just draft it and then he gets ILA and then we get, and you just move on with your lives. You just, yeah. you you follow your agreement. Exactly. And when you need enforcement of your agreement, you know, depending on what the terms are, like if there's child support that's payable or support, um, and there's default provisions for enforcement if he, you know they're not paying, then there's then you can file it with the court to make sure that um, that enforcement happens. But ultimately, you're good to go. So on that note, we're good to go to Shireen. So we <laughs> hope, we hope um, that gives you some guidance on separation agreements. Obviously, we have a lot of um, different topics um you know we, we talked about different elements property support things like that so if you want to get more information on on how that works in terms of so you can help yourself in negotiating settlement terms check out our other podcasts we have a lot of um resources as well on our website aprinsville.com and until next time it's bye for now Thanks for listening and joining us in the AP Legal Zone. We hope you enjoyed this episode. You can find more episodes by searching AP Legal Zone on anywhere you watch podcasts. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast today so you can stay connected with any updates and get notified about any new episodes. Mm